Good evening. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Josiah Reiswig, and I serve as a deacon here at Christ Reformed. Uh, let us begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, teach us to pray. Lord, I pray that uh, through this time of worship together, Lord, that we would um, be able to pray more fully to you. We would pray earnestly and in accordance to your will. Pray that you would calm my nerves. Pray that you would help me to speak without error. Lord, what I say that is in error, let it be forgotten or let it be mute. Just thank you for this opportunity to worship together. Let us not take it for granted. Amen. All right, so I have had the uh, privilege of uh, speaking already on one of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And here we will discuss the fourth petition. Before I do, it's worth noting that the first three are different in tone than this fourth petition. We can be guaranteed that the first three petitions will be answered. We know that God's name will be hallowed when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. We know that God's kingdom will come when God's promise to David is fulfilled and Christ reigns forever on the new earth. And we know that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven when God has wiped away every tear from our eye and death is no more. In contrast, we now pray, give us this day our daily bread, which in preparing this lesson, I had to wrestle with the fact that throughout history, Christians have always seen this prayer not answered one day. All of us will experience a day, unless the Lord comes before, when our provision is not met. When we pray, Lord, give us our daily bread, and we don't have what it takes to reach the next day. So there's a change in the um, petitions here. Compared with the first three petitions, which again are, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, asking for our daily bread seems selfish. The first three are about God's glory, the unveiling of all of history. Lord, do your will, and then we ask for ourselves and give us something to eat today. It seems selfish. Compared with the final two petitions, forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation, it seems worldly to ask about food right in the middle. Instead of asking for the forgiveness of our sins, instead of asking that we would not sin against God in the future, we ask, Lord, give us something to eat. It may be tempting to say that this is the least of all the petitions, and perhaps even omit it, and say we're so spiritual we need not pray for our daily needs. As long as God is glorified, I don't need to eat. But we need to remember that it's no virtue to spiritualize away our daily needs. God commanded us to pray in this way. God not only cares about our daily needs, but he commands us, when you pray, pray for your daily bread. We serve a God who watches over even the sparrows and clothes the grass. And if the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more take care and clothe us? God is not spiritual and distant from our daily concerns, and they are not of no concern to him. On the contrary, God is both omni omniscient, all-knowing. He knows about our daily needs. He knows about our sufferings. Not only that, but God became a man. It's worth noting in Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, there's a clause that says he was hungry. God himself knows what it's like not to have his daily bread. He knows what it's like to be hungry. The tempter came to him in that time and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones and become loaves of bread. 
If ever the Son of God was weak, it was that moment. He was hungry. God also knows as a man what it is to lose a loved one to death. In Luke 11, we have the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And when Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, he asks, Where have they laid them? And they answer, Lord, come and see. And when Jesus arrives at the tomb, he weeps. God is not distant from our daily concerns. He knows them intimately, both through his omniscient nature, but also that he came as a man and experienced hunger. He experienced death of a loved one and death himself. So when God invites us to pray for our temporal needs, our non-spiritual needs, we shouldn't be ashamed of these, we shouldn't mitigate them, um, but we should uh, bring out our desires to the Lord, and that's a blessing. So with that in mind, that this is not the lesser of the petitions, uh, let's look at the petition itself. So I'll be uh, looking at Matthew chapter 6, when the verse that says here, give us this day our daily bread. So we'll go word by word and discuss what this petition means. The first word is give, which may be easy to overlook, but it's worth noting that our daily bread is a gift. Our sustenance is a gift. We're not owed it. We never earned it. God has given it to us. I can oftentimes think that I've earned my paycheck. I've worked ahead in my lessons. I work as a teacher in my professional life. I've worked ahead in my lessons. I know what I'm going to do. I'm prepared to teach my students. But the truth is, I've been hit with salmonella before. And when you have salmonella, a ruptured appendix, a bad back, maybe a change in the economy, our provision for ourselves is removed. Modern medicine has done many miracles, but it has not removed our dependence on God. God sustains us. I posit that today, we today getting our pizza that we arrived at today, that we received today, we were no less dependent on God as Elijah was when he was fed by the ravens. God is in control of all things and holding all things together, and he's what provides the means that we have to produce what we do in our work uh, in order to make our meals. Everything that we have is a gift from him, so we should recognize it as such. I think that if we could see God's vantage point of his provision for us, we would remind ourselves very much of the Israelites feasting on manna. God provided the manna. They did not plant. They did not sow. God provided the growth. We may do a bit more planting and a bit more sowing, but ultimately we use the tools God has provided and we rely on him uh, for our sustenance. So after the word give is the word us. So the Lord's Prayer is a corporate prayer. It uh, begins with our Father. It is meant to be prayed together. So what we should recognize here is when we pray, give us our daily bread, we pray not only for our own provision, but for God's provision for all his people. We see an example of this in the book of Acts. When Herod is persecuting the church, we see that James, the brother of John, is killed, and Peter is in prison. Acts 12.5 tells us, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. It may be tempting to say, Well, this says, give us our daily bread. I have my daily bread. I'm fine here. But we should be a body that recognizes that when one part of the body of Christ suffers, the rest of us ought to notice. We should not be like eyes that look at our decaying, injured hands if the rest of if another part of the body of Christ is suffering and say, I have no need of you. I have my sight. I have my daily bread. But we should be praying for the many Christians today who do not have the provision for the next day. 
is a corporate element to this prayer. So after give and us, we then have this day. So when we pray for our needs, we pray for them today, not worrying or presuming about tomorrow. Christ in Matthew 6 commands us to look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of his uh, span of life? He continues on to say, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When we pray for our daily bread, we make no assumptions that what we, can give as a, what we receive as a blessing today, we can extend to the future. God gives us every day, every instance, what we need. We have the reminder of the manna, which the Israelites received. Moses commanded the Israelites, let no uh, one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. It can be tempting to take our blessings that we receive and make a God of those, to rely on them as an idol and as opposed to trusting in the Lord. And the gracious thing that the Lord does is he tears down our idols. The Israelites could have trusted in the manna that they received yesterday to provide for them today, but God mercifully allowed uh, that uh, manna to stink. So we can't store God's mercies for a rainy day. We have to trust God every single day. All right, so then we get to our last phrase of the petition, our daily bread. When we pray for our daily bread, we're praying for what is needed this day, not necessarily just what is material or uh, spiritual, mental, or emotional, but whatever is required. I think this is evident in the Psalms. David makes many petitions saying, Save me, O Lord, and most of the heartache that he brings to the Lord is not about a lack of food, not about a lack of sustenance, but about feeling far from the Lord, feeling abandoned, having emotional uh, distress of being uh, pursued by Saul. An example is Psalm 55, verses 4 through 5. David says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. When I think of what David uh, needed there, he needed the Lord to bring him to the next day in his emotions, in his despair. I believe when we pray our daily bread, we don't just mean our physical needs, but also our emotional and spiritual needs as well. I think Esau's mistake, one of his many mistakes in life, when he sells his birthright, is that he sees only his physical need. Esau sees, I am hungry, I will give whatever it takes for that daily bread, what I need today. But Jesus commands us, life is more than bread, and the body more than clothes. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we mean not just physical provisions, but also spiritual and emotional as well. But I think it's worth noting that it is bread. Although I think it stands for more, there is a specific instance here where God is talking about food. And I think this ties to the fact of why fasting is important. I think fasting is something that has fallen out of favor for many Christians. It's certainly something that I don't think I practice enough in my own life. 
Um, but I can say that when I have fasted, I have never felt it to be wasted. When I was in college, I led a, a Bible study with another young man. And frankly, uh, we had one atheist who came regularly and two Buddhists and the two leaders. We were outnumbered. Most of our um, lessons turned into debates or just unfruitful com uh, conversation as a whole. And my friend and I were very discouraged. And so we thought, we need to change something. So we took a weekend, and we said, we're going to fast from Friday until Sunday evening. And we'll fast and pray that the Lord would improve our Bible study. And God changed our hearts. Instead of seeing it as a burden of these men that we had in our Bible study, he changed our hearts to see it as an opportunity. I'll tell you, every single issue that we had with that Bible study just continued on for the rest of the semester. Absolutely nothing we prayed about changed, but it changed our hearts. And so, when we pray for our daily bread, consider the need of fasting. We don't often recognize that God provides our daily, our, our daily bread until it's missing. I don't recognize the value of kidney function until I have a failure there. There are so many things that God provides for us that we need to meditate on how important it is. One way to do that is through fasting. Our thankfulness and trust in the Lord improved um, exponentially through that fasting time. So we've gone through the um, petitions now, the petition in detail, but there is an issue of, uh, as I alluded to before, how do we pray for our daily needs? What counts as daily bread? Is it 2,000 calories? Is that enough? If I pray for 5,000 calories in a day, am I asking for too much? So what is the right way to pray for our needs? I feel I have a need for uh, air conditioning. Is that really a daily need? Uh, so the question is, how do we pray for these things that are not directly related to what God has revealed as his will? So how can we say that God answers uh, these prayers? How should we pray these things? Well, one thing to keep in mind when we pray is that Jesus spoke about prayer often, not just in the Lord's Prayer. And one instance in particular is in Matthew 7. You may know the verse well. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocked, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks, asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, you, will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So when we ask for our daily bread, I don't think we need to worry about what's the minimum amount I need, and that's all I'm going to ask for because I'm so spiritual. God wants to give abundantly. He probably won't give what we're asking for oftentimes because we don't really know what we need. So I have two reasons. Uh, that our prayers may not be answered. Another way to raise this is these are two things to avoid when we pray. The first is when we pray for things, we need to make sure we're not praying for wrong things or for the right things with the wrong motives. Uh, perhaps you've prayed that your teacher would get a flat tire because you didn't study for a test. It's a wrong thing to pray for, and that's not part of your daily bread. We see this in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. John says here, this is the confidence that we have towards him, that being the Lord, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So when can we be sure that he will hear our prayers? When we ask according to his will. James says this in a bit of a stronger note. In James 4, he says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Many of us have, at our sometime in our life, probably had a sinful desire that we wish to carry out the next day. We shouldn't pray for God's provision today so that we can sin all the more tomorrow. So when we uh, pray, we should pray for the right things and with the right motives, not for our own selfish desires, uh, but for the correct motives. The second thing to avoid is we should, we should avoid praying for the right things and with the right motives, but without earnest desire. My goal here is not to say if you have enough faith, you can get whatever you want. God is not a vending machine, but he does command us to be persistent. In Luke 11, after Luke describes the giving of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says the following. He said to them, which of you has a friend which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, for the door is shut now, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus is saying here that when we pray, we should be like an, an annoying neighbor who asks our friend enough times that even though you lose the friendship, you get the bread you're asking for. This friend here is interrupting his neighbor at midnight because of his own lack of preparation and is demanding he will not leave until he receives bread from his friend. That is how we are to pray. This is a command of earnestness. The Westminster Shorter Catechism has a question on prayer, question 98, and the question is, what is prayer? I'll give the first part of the answer here, that's what pertains to us today, but the answer is, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ. And what's interesting to note here is when the uh, Westminster divines drafted this catechism, they had a single scriptural reference, and more have been added thankfully, but there was one specific one, and it was our call to worship today. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. When we pray for our daily bread, when we pray for our needs and desires, we need to pour out our hearts before him. Not a simple, Lord, I would really like to have guacamole on my burrito today, and leave it at that. If your heart's desire is guacamole on your burritos, it is for me. It is for me. We should be persistent. We should be pleading for the Lord. Prayer is a pouring out of our, our, out of our hearts. It's a desire, a pleading, a pouring out of our hearts. This is illustrated by Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. If you'll excuse the longer passage, I think this is powerful. So Jesus and his disciples are in Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus... A blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is, um, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. I don't think the message here is that if we have enough faith, we can get anything we desire. But Bartimaeus here is praying in the correct way. He's persistent. When told to be quiet, when told, quit praying about this, he's persistent. I think about a, a, a pastor I know uh, growing up who has a type 2 diabetes. And whenever there's a prayer time, he asks every single time for healing from his type 2 diabetes. And his goal in that is so that he could have a testimony of, his, uh, of God's answering his prayer in persistence. He says, I never want to take up the opportunity to not, I never want to miss the opportunity to not cry out to the Lord. I would like my diabetes removed. And that's his motive. That's his motive. So our Lord tells us to pray to him as though he is an uninterested neighbor who only grants requests because of the persistence of his neighbor. In another passage, he says, pray as if I'm an indifferent judge who doesn't care at all about justice, but if you annoy me enough, I'll hear your case. That's how we're to pray to him. He also says that the kingdom of God is for those who will take it by force, like a man storming a fortress. We are to pray like Israel, who grasped on to the Lord and said, I will not leave, I will not let you go until you bless me. So God says to, uh, to pray to him as if he is uninterested, as if he's trying to leave us and we have to grasp onto him until he blesses us. And we need to remember this is the same Savior who says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus hears our prayers. When Moses sees that Miriam is going to receive leprosy, he says, Lord, heal her. No persistent, just in his desperation, just Lord, heal her. And Jesus hears that prayer. Other times there's persistency. We understand that God hears our prayers always, but he asks us to be persistent. So a question that we can ask is, how can we be sure that we are earnestly praying for good things with good motives? That's one rule to have, but how do you know you're praying for good things? How do you know you're praying with good motives? I think a good guideline of that is to use Scripture as our model for prayer. Interestingly enough, there's an example of this through Moses. After Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, um, the Lord tells him, what's been going on in his absence. This is the uh, instance of the golden calf. And God tells Moses, get away from me, as if Moses was holding him back. He says, move aside so that I can wipe out the Israelites' complaints. This is what he says. Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, could the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? 
Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster which he had spoken of bringing on his people. This is a challenging passage. Whatever uh, tradition of Christianity you come from, um, there's always something in the Old Testament that you need to deal with. This is one that most people need to deal with. What's happening here? Is God manipulated like Nebuchadnezzar, where he can be manipulated by his officers? Is Moses stroking God's ego, and if we just stroke God's ego enough, he'll give us what we want? I don't think that's the case. Moses is a man who speaks to God face to face as with a friend. Moses has the same goals as God. What Moses is doing is he's pouring out his heart's desire for the Lord. And what is Moses' desire? We see it in the argument of the passage. He is consumed with God's covenant love. He's consumed with God's glory and God's character. He says, God, do this. Save, uh, preserve the people Israel. Why? Because of what you have said you would do, that you would be faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. Moses is doing what David says in Psalm 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Moses is delighting in God's desires. Moses' desires and God's desires are one. So when Moses pours out his heart to God, he is doing what C.S. Lewis says is the goal of his prayers, to have God speak to God. So when we pray earnestly God's thoughts back to him, excuse me, I was meditating earlier today on some of Jesus' promises about prayer. He says that uh, with an ounce of mustard, uh, with a mustard seed of faith, we could tell a mountain, get up and throw yourself into the sea. And it reminded me of Joshua when he's pursuing the Amorites. He commands the sun to stand still. He says, sun, stand still so that he can continue the battle. And the best part is the sun does stand still. And I thought, why, why do I not take this literally? Why can't I do this? And I think that as we grow in sanctification, as our desires become the same as God's desires, when we pray with complete uh, um, uniformity with God's desires, we can say, mountain, throw yourself into the sea. I think for just about all of us, that'll be in the next life, not this life. But I really believe that when we pray in accordance with God's will, and as we grow where our desires start out with selfish desires and God sanctifies us up, perhaps in the next life, we'll be able to actually see those prayers' answers. And in particular, I think that someday, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we'll actually understand what Jesus said in John 4. My food is to do, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now we understand that we have physical needs. But perhaps someday, through sanctification, we'll be to the point where when we say, our, when we say give us this day our daily bread, We'll be asking, God, give us what we need to do your will today. Jesus says that his food is to do the will of him who sent me. So we'll close with just one reminder. Christ tells his disciples, 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that your words would abide in us. Lord, we have so many desires, Lord, that we know are contrary to your will. We thank you, Lord, that you still hear those desires. We thank you that you are faithful to hear our prayers. I pray that we would grow in sanctification where we can someday pray completely in accordance to your will in every way. Until then, Lord, we trust that you will give us good things. And when we ask for bread, you may not give us bread, but you will not give us a rock or a scorpion. So, Lord, we pray that each day we would understand that you provide our daily bread for us. And I pray that we would grow in faith and boldness in prayer for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.